from the book of Acts. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. If you're wondering why John was standing there patiently uh, to extinguish the candle, you may not know that the Paschal candle, the big candle right there, is lighted the entire season of Easter, and it symbolizes Jesus' resurrection on earth, walking around, talking to people, uh, eating fish on the beach with his friends, all the things we've talked about for the past six weeks. And once the gospel for our Ascension Day is read, and Christ has ascended into heaven, the candle is extinguished to symbolize that Jesus has departed. And the reason I say that is if you've, if you've spent any time here at Trinity Church, you know that there are, uh, I've got a few uh, soap boxes upon which I like to stand, just a couple. It's actually not true, there's lots of them, but, but uh, for, for example, I am on a mission, a, a mission from God to destroy and eradicate the Victorian image of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. It's one of my missions. I, I do believe that science and religion are not inherently at conflict and that any real scientist worth his salt knows that God exists and actually assumes that God exists to do his job, to invoke the scientific method. That's another soapbox upon which I will stand. Heaven is real, as the book says, but so is hell. And I'll stand on that soapbox too. I hate sweet potatoes. I loathe the little things, unless you're French, unless you fry them, then okay, maybe. I also do believe that Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, like our text says from today. And I also believe that Jesus Christ, when he returns, will finish the job that he started on December 25th. And so we're going to talk today about the Feast of the Ascension. The Ascension is one of those days that always happens on a Thursday, and so I've moved it to this, this Sunday. It's always the Sunday before this week. And the Ascension in a lot of places gets short shrift. We forget about Jesus ascending back into heaven and the importance of that, of that event because we, we know all about him, him coming to earth, right? We, if you think about it, Jesus' earthly ministry goes, it's something like a circle, right? He's on his throne of glory in heaven. He comes to earth, born in a barn. We call that Christmas, he suffers, died, and is buried. We call that Good Friday. You guys awake this morning? <laughs> Come on, man. This shouldn't be, this shouldn't be new. Uh, he's raised from the dead. We call that Easter Day. Now what? This is the piece we always forget that the church always kind of neglects. I don't really know why, but I'm not going to do that. This is one of my soapboxes. Where did he go? Well, we're going to look at today is that Christ actually ascends back to his throne of glory on heaven from whence he came. point I want you to see here is Jesus' earthly ministry is a great big circle. He starts in heaven, he comes down, he dies, is resurrected, and back up he goes until he comes back. I'll get to that later. So here's the question for this morning. We're going to do a deep dive on this. It's, an, it's a super important question. Where is he? I mean, if Christ is physically raised from the dead. The resurrection says that Jesus has, has got physical being, right? He's a new body, resurrected thing, body existence. Where did he go? 
Where is he? Did he, did he float up into the sky like one, you know, one of those uh, Macy's Day, Thanksgiving Day parade balloons that kind of got untethered? Everybody worries about, you know, on the Thanksgiving when they bring those big balloons down in New York City. I mean, where'd he go? Where is Jesus? Where did he go? Ready for this? I'm sneaking it in on you. The three points. Where did he go? What is he doing? And what happens next? So where did he go? What is he doing? And what happens next? So the big question today, when Christ ascends back into heaven, where did he go? Man, what does that even mean? Well, the thing you've got to understand is that Jesus' ascension into heaven happens after the season of Easter. He's been walking on earth, talking to his friends, eating with them, drinking with them, explaining the scriptures to them, and revealing that he is, in fact, real and physical and raised from the dead. And Paul, in fact, says these people all experience him and they are converted. I've been preaching this all Easter, so is Father Gritter, that when people then and now meet the resurrected Jesus Christ, they are changed, full stop. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you think, well, you know, maybe it's a little bit of, you know, made up or something. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that there were at one point 500 people. Paul says 500 of them that saw him resurrected all at once. Paul says, don't take my word for it. Go ask those people. They're still alive. And then today, after Christ has been walking around all these days after Easter season, he ascends back into heaven. And he says to his friends, and I'm going to get to this in a minute, he says, hang, doesn't say this exactly, but he says, stay where you are in Jerusalem. Hang tight. Don't go anywhere. I'm sending the promise of the Father. Stay there and be patient. And then Jesus Christ ascends back into heaven. So where is he? Well, the big question, we've got to, friends, we have to wrap our minds around this because wherever he went, he's still there. Wherever he went, he's still there. The scripture says that Jesus was carried up into heaven. I want you to understand this. Most people think of heaven like uh, that uh, Russian cosmonaut back in the 60s that was shot up into the atmosphere and said, well, I was up there and looked around, didn't see any God, so there must not be a God out there. Yuri something or other. Anybody know? Gagarin, thank you. He was wrong. Yuri Gagarin is wrong, probably a heretic, because he does, uh, Scripture does not talk about a double-decker universe. Most of us think about heaven is down here, or sorry, earth is here, and heaven is somehow up in the sky far, far away. This sort of double-decker idea. We've inherited this as enlightenment people. That's not how Scripture describes reality. We do, the Scripture does not... Um, does not use heaven and earth as sort of this double-decker understanding of the, of the nature of reality. I'll give you an example. It's a metaphor. Heaven, earth, and heaven. It's metaphorical. I'll give you an example. I have a friend of mine whose name is Walt. I went to Penn State with him, and he is from rural Pennsylvania. And I used to say, Walt, Walt you are a redneck who lives in the sticks. Now, Walt does not watch this. I know. That's why I'm telling you this. I hope he's not anyway. Now, Walt doesn't have a red neck, and he doesn't actually live in the sticks. It's a metaphor, right? It's a way of speaking. You know what I mean by that. You know what I mean by that when I say that, but the idea is I'm trying to communicate something to you in a metaphorical language. This idea of heaven being up there and earth being down here is a metaphor. First century people, listen, did not believe in heaven in the sky and earth below. In fact, I'll give you an example. 
N.T. Wright, one of my, well, I'm not one of my favorites, but I like him. Uh, he says some good things here and there. He says, uh, N.T. Wright says that the Bible uses these words, heaven and earth, to describe heaven and earth. Listen to this. It's a little mind-blowing, but listen to this. Heaven and earth as being two parallel and interlocking universes inhabited by a creator God on one hand and humans on the other. What does that mean exactly? Nobody really knows. But the idea is it's not that heaven is way, way, way up in the sky and we're just down here kind of in the trenches slogging it out. No, heaven and earth are two interlocking, separate but somehow interlocking realities. We live in this world. God, Christ, in his physical state, lives in that world. Sometimes the two do intersect. When I was a kid, giving a little, another metaphor, because it's the best you can do, is uh, when I was a kid, my mom used to make something called sun tea. Anybody remember that? Yeah, it was about, they still make sun tea? I don't know. But you'd get a, a, a jar, and you'd put water in it, a five-gallon jar, and you'd put a bunch of tea bags in it, and you'd put it outside in the sun, and it would make tea. And uh, I used to sit there and on the back porch and kind of watch it, you know, and you can see the water kind of moving through the tea bags, and it kind of, the water turns brown, right? So the, the, the bags are in the water, and the water's sort of soaking all through it, but they're still distinct. You see my point? You can pull the bags out, they're separate, but they interact and inter, inter, interchange with each other. That's, that's kind of my point here, that heaven and earth are two distinct realities, but they intersect and at times are joined and interlock. I'll give you an example. You ever felt, at a, been in church, for example, where you can just feel God. And again, it's, it's, it's spiritual, so it's hard to really put into words, but the idea is you can just feel something. You can feel the presence of God. You can feel the presence of something that your five senses can't really detect, but you know it's there, and so does everybody else around you. You know, when I was a kid, I used to always wonder about this whole idea of heaven and earth being two separate things. My mom would say, look, God is all around you. He's also distinct. This is a, it's a tricky thing because God is flows and the Holy Spirit flows through us, but we are all distinct from God. I am not in any way trying to argue that we are somehow deified. What I'm saying is that we, heaven and earth, do sometimes interact, interlock, affect each other. Jesus is, in fact, in heaven, but he's also in, in us. He says that. He says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm with you. He says it. When you also see Christ being present physically with us on earth in the Eucharist. When I hold up, when I elevate the host at the Eucharist, you are seeing Jesus in a physical presence amongst his people. So I would say this, Jesus is physically ascended into heaven. It is a separate continuum, reality, whatever you want to say. I don't really know how to describe it. But Jesus is on his throne of glory in heaven, but he also exists amongst us when we gather together. He says so, and he also exists with us when we receive the Eucharist. He says that too. In fact, I'll give you a little liturgical secret here. At the end of Mass on Sunday, we process out the altar party. We stand in the back during the final hymn, and I pray the following prayer. Ready for this? Blessed, these are all different ways of describing how human beings react to God. Listen to this. Blessed, praised, hallowed, worshipped, and adored be our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the important part. On his throne of glory in heaven, 
in the most holy sacrament of the altar and in the hearts of his faithful people everywhere. So where did he go? Well, he ascended back to heaven from whence he came. But he's not far away in the sky somewhere. He's here with us really, physically. He says so in the Eucharist and when we gather together. The second point then is then, well then, what is he doing? What is Jesus doing even now? Well, the prophet Daniel describes this, how Jesus is enthroned in glory, seated at the right hand of God. Listen to this. Daniel says in a vision, and to him, Jesus, was given power and dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Here's the thing. Jesus is, in fact, on his throne of glory in heaven in a real physical place. But he's not some far-off God who just sort of winds up the clock and watches it go. But a sovereign Lord who is also intimately involved in every aspect of your life and mine. Paul famously writes, I love this, in Romans chapter 8, all things work to good. Listen to this. All, tauta is the Greek, which means everything. All things work to good for those who trust the Lord. That's an astounding thing to say. And it's only true if God is really and truly intimately involved in your life. If God is really and truly, even though he is on his throne of glory, intimately involved in your life. Listen. If Jesus Christ is running the show, and he is, I think we can all breathe a little bit easier. I want to challenge you this morning if to that, not only is Jesus on his throne of glory in heaven, but he is engaged with you right now. I want you to pull a gut check on your worry. Did you notice something this morning? It's a very subtle. I'm not going to dive on it too much today. Jesus ascends into heaven. He says, wait. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. Hang out. Chill. Be patient. You know, it's not, I was going to say maybe it's just me. It's not just me. It's you too. Patience does not come naturally. It's a virtue, which means you have to learn it. And a virtue is something which you acquire by doing it and by learning how to do it. But I want to challenge you on something here, that if Jesus Christ is on his throne of glory in heaven and thereby intersects with you, that means that he's in control. That means he's running the show. He's got this. He's got you. He even says this. Why do you, you know, later on, he's talking about the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how God takes care of all these things. He says, guys, why do you worry? Come on, dude, if I've got this thing, why are you so concerned? And this is a question I want for you today here on this Feast of the Ascension and Christ being on his throne in heaven now. What are you worrying about or struggling with right now? Where in your family life or your work life or your whatever, man, fill in the blank, you've all got stuff, me too. Where are you trying to solve a problem that you cannot solve? Here's the deal, right? Do the best you can do and put the matter to bed. Do the best you can do, trust in the Lord, and go to bed. Let Jesus take the wheel, right? If you're on the Jesus bus, let him drive. How's that? Another metaphor for you. He knows what he's doing. He is in control of all things. He is on his throne of glory in heaven. And yes, yeah, sometimes life is really hard. 
But if Jesus Christ is on his throne of glory, running the show, man, he's engaged in everything in your life, relax. So if Jesus is on his throne and he reigns from that throne in glory, even now, and he's intimately involved in every aspect of your life and in mine, that leads me to my third point. What then do we do? You know, again, most of us have this idea of Jesus' ascension into heaven. Um, like I had a story when my daughter Amy, she was probably three or so, and we were at the Philadelphia Zoo, which if you don't, have never been there, don't bother. But <laughs> it's just not that good. And you might get shot going there, so just save, save your money and go somewhere. You could take that out of the tape, by the way. Uh, we were, at, we were at the Philadelphia Zoo, and you know you always get the, the perfunctory helium balloon tied around your kid's waist, and they walk around this balloon. And you know, and this is one of those, those things in, in parenting that you learn experientially. It always happens. The kid's balloon breaks off, and it floats up into the sky. La loon! Never forget that. That's how we think of, that's how we think of Christ ascension into heaven. Like, he floats way up into the sky. There he goes! Woo! Man, is that, yeah, I think that's him. Look at it. But that's actually not what that word, that word ascend is a lot more subtle. And it, and it, it means this. So um, think of a king, an earthly king, who, uh, who becomes king. What does he do? He ascends a throne. Now, when Mary was ascended the throne as the queen, she didn't float up in the sky somewhere, right? Like some acrobat, no. The point is, what I want you to see here, this ascension into heaven does not mean that Jesus floated up into the sky. To ascend the throne means to become, to take the throne, to ascend the throne as the king of the universe. The angels, these, this is such a cool image here. Read it again in Acts. These men are standing there and they see Christ ascend the throne and these angels say, Where, what you're, looking, you're actually seeing, I don't know, like a wormhole or some kind of hole punched from this reality to that reality. And we see Christ ascending the throne in heaven. He's not way up in the sky. He's ascending the throne like a king or a queen would ascend the throne even today. And the angels say, look, he's going, he is going to come back the same way in which he left, which that means this, that he is on his throne of glory in heaven right now. He's ascended the throne, but he will return with power and great glory. I remember a bumper, I love bumper stickers, right? I don't have any because I think they're kind of tacky, but I like when people have funny ones. I remember a bumpy bumper sticker once that said, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Look busy. <laughs> it's actually true. That is a true thing. Jesus is returning, but don't just look busy. Actually, be busy. You know, what do we do now that we're waiting for Christ to return? The, What we do is we act like Christians. We are the kingdom of God on this earth, fallen and broken. We are citizens of the other realm here on earth until he returns and sets the world to right. Our job, friends, as Christians, are to be missionaries into a broken and fallen world to point them to the world to come. You know, the time, you know, you see these people that have these signs, Jesus is coming, you know, the time is short. That's actually true. That is true. We are in, if you know the scriptures, we are in the last stage of salvation history. There's nothing more to happen except one more thing. Christ returns. And when he returns, he says this, the dead shall be resurrected, evil will be judged. Those who have rejected Jesus will, who as they have chosen, 
spend eternity in hell where they have chosen to be. And those who have waited with him, for him with bated breath, will be restored to heaven, a real physical place. These two realities that are now sort of interlocking in Revelation says the new Jerusalem will come down and the new heaven will be a physical place where all suffering will cease, all judgments rendered, all the things you and I have craved and strived for will finally be at hand. Friends, that is our hope. Not this world. This world's a mess. We're called to be in here, though, to witness to it, to point people to the return of Jesus. You know, I never really thought a whole, like a typical Episcopalian, I never really thought a whole lot about Christ's return. I always thought it was a little far out there, even though we say it every Sunday in the Creed. But when I was in Red Bank, New Jersey, there was a group of people there from a denomination that had become part of my church. And this one woman, I've told you about her before, her name is Bertha Hollick. May she rest in peace. Bertha Hollick was about this big, and man, she was a spiritual giant. And whenever she would pray, we would pray together. Her husband was dying and finally died. But we would pray together, and she would pray, and I mean, just, I'd pray for her, I'd bless her, give her communion, and she would pray. And at the end of the prayer, she would always say the following words. She would say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Man, that, that rang my bell. That changed my entire way of looking at my faith. Come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We, we are waiting for him to return. You know, in fact, the reason that the, that the altar is situated this way, where we worship God facing together, in the, when you would build churches in the old days, they would face it where that would be east. We're all waiting for Christ to return. Don't you see? The whole point of the Christian faith is to live in this world, but not of it. To live in this world waiting for Christ to return. Waiting for him to put the world to rights. Our final hymn today is one of my very favorites. In fact, it is my favorite. And so we sing it a lot, because I like it. But it is a word, it's not usually, it's usually, usually sang in first Sunday of Advent, but I like to sing it a lot, because it's a good hymn. Lo, he comes with Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Lo is short for look. Look, he comes with clouds descending, robed in dreadful majesty. That's our hope, friends, that he will return. And that when Christ returns from his throne of glory where he sits now, he will conquer and he will put, Jesus Christ will put the world to rights. Shall we pray, Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son who came to earth, who died for us, who was raised from the dead, who walked among us and now ascends back to his throne from where he reigns. Lord, give us hope and joy in waiting for his return with sure confidence and trust that all things work to good for those who trust you. Help us to have our eyes focused in joy and an eager waiting for his return for Jesus to come and put the world to rights. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.